That should excite you right there. Let's go to the Word. I'm excited. What a great crowd. Labor Day every single year. This church, different churches go through different things, like, oh, people travel at Thanksgiving or Christmas or the summer or Labor Day Memorial Day. Our Memorial Day picnic rocks, so nobody usually goes out of town on Memorial Day. But this church, in the 11 years I've been here, this Sunday, right before Labor Day, is always, 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 always the least attended service of the year. So there are tons of people traveling. I thought this year might be different because of everything going on, but it's still the same. But when I came, I looked around, I said, what a great crowd for Labor Day. I'm so thankful to see each and every one of you. It's so great. Others are getting their last-minute travels in before school or during school, depending on what schools are doing. Every school is different. I can't even keep up with the schools. We homeschool, so our school's in session. So let's go to the Word. That's exciting. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. It says... With all these things, Paul writes to the Thessalonican church, he says, With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you, both in person and in letter. Can I encourage somebody to do that same exact thing? Please, church, keep a strong grip. And the teaching that has been passed on to us, both in person and by letter. Now, many, or now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope, comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. I think sometimes we as believers, the whole world needs comfort and hope, but sometimes we need comfort and hope. Anybody go anything, go through anything in the last couple weeks where you say, man, I could use a word of comfort and hope in my life. <laughs> and so today I want to preach on this topic, hope, hope in the word. Hope in the word. This is just a good, solid message that is going to take us back and remind us about some of the basics that we need to continue as believers in the 21st century. Jesus Thank you, God, so much for every man, woman, and child who is either in person here, watching online live, or even later. God, whether they consider themselves members of this church or not, please bless them. Speak to them. Speak through me, God, and let your word offer hope today in the name of Jesus. Amen. In our opening passage, Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he appeared to be very concerned about believers clinging to the truth they had been given. And there was a call not just to cling to the truth of preaching, but there was a cling to also call to cling to the word of the letter. Now, what is he talking about? Well, just so you understand what we're discussing, a large majority of the New Testament is what we would call letters. It was letters to young ministers, letters to churches, Corinthians, Thessalonians. Uh, Philemon was a letter to uh, a, a slave or, or about regarding a, a slave that had ran away. And then you look in Jude and you look in Peter. That was written by Peter. And so sometimes there were letters like to individuals and other times there was letters to churches. Romans, the church in Rome. And so, so we have a lot of letters in the New Testament, especially Paul. Paul wrote letters. They're called the epistles. And so these letters make up inspired text that we call the Holy Bible, the inspired text of Scripture. And so even though these people living in the New Testament, they didn't actually have the New Testament to read. Matthew wasn't going, let's go to, go to the book of Matthew. <laughs> that was written 
later. So it's not like the church in Acts was like, hey, let's go to the book of Acts and see how they did it. They were the book of Acts. They were living it. And so it was being recorded by Luke. But they had the Torah. They had the Old Testament scriptures. They had uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament written by Moses. And so they had things that they could go back on. And they were even required if you were in a, a priest, uh, you, you would have to memorize these things. And so they knew a lot of those Old Testament scriptures. And God was so passionate about his people knowing his word that look what he commands ancient Jews. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy might. And these words which I command thee shall be in thine heart. So I'm speaking something to you, God says. I want you to know I'm one, and I want you to love me with everything you have. But I want you to hide the words. I want you to hide the words that I'm giving you. Hide them in your heart. And thou shalt teach them. Don't just do it for yourself. Don't just take God's word and put it in your heart. He says, teach them. How? diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in the house. When thou walkest by the way, liest down, risest up. So that means that we're supposed to immerse our children in God's words. And we're supposed to be diligent about it. Why? Because if you're a parent, you know that when the kids are running around in the morning or in the nighttime before bed or throughout the day, it's not always easy. The kids, when I say, guys, I want to talk about the word. I want to read you a Bible story. They are not always like, that's awesome. I love the word of God. I'm so passionate about you teaching me this, dad. I'm going to sit attentively and listen. If you're teaching Sunday school, you know that's not the case. But we have to be diligent about it. We don't just do it when they act interested or I, I laugh. Some of these parents say, well, I really want my children to make their own choices. Are you kidding me? If my children made their own choices, they would eat chocolate for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and they would be on electronics all day long, morning, noon, and night. They would never come off of it. So parents have to be there to teach boundaries and, line, and draw lines and have lessons and, and, and teach and instill these things. And that's not a knock on my children because if my parents wouldn't have done it, I would have done the same thing. Okay, it had been Pop-Tarts, breakfast, lunch, dinner, chocolate milk. It would, I mean, like, that would have been it, you know. And when, if my parents, when I was in my teen years, Gary, if you don't want to go to church, you don't have to. Some of my parents, some of my friends' parents actually let them do that. If my parents would have said, you don't have to go to church, you don't have to go unless you want to. When I was 14, 15, 16, I'd have been like, cool, I'm going back to bed. Because why? Those things have to be instilled in us. They have to be something that is being intent, diligent on teaching those things to our kids. So if we're wanting our kids to learn the word of God, where do you think they're going to learn the word of God? Oh, certainly, we're here to help. We're getting ready to launch Sunday school back up on the 20th. We have great teachers that are going to instill godly principles. But if the only word they're getting is on Sunday... Well, guess what? We're not just talking about kids anymore. If the only word you're getting is on Sunday, there's not going to be much diligence. I don't have much to offer, diligently offer anything if I'm not putting it in myself. Okay? And so he says, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and front, be frontlets between thine eyes. 
just put them everywhere. Focus on this, is what he's saying. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, upon thy gates. I mean, God is, is like, you need to be diligent teaching your kids this stuff. These words which I command thee shall be in thine heart. And that's interesting because years later, many years later, David says this about God's commands. Look at Psalm 119.10. With my whole heart I've sought thee, he writes. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. How do I not wander from thy commandments? Very next words. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. So did he just literally put it into context? Like, hey, if I want to walk in his commands and, and avoid sin in my heart, one of the keys that I do that with is to hide your word in my heart. Where does he get that? That goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. Thy words have a hand. Hey, hide them in your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. So one of the keys of us walking with God is hiding his word in our heart. However, we can do that. Memorizing, reading, studying, looking at that word. How do we serve God when we don't even know what he's saying to us? And so, and so Deuteronomy tells about it. David tells about it. He says, David cries out to God, I hid your word in my heart. In verse 10, David associates the remedy to wandering. He says, to seek you with my heart. But then it goes on and says, but I don't just seek you. I hide your word there. Too many Christians think they can grow to reflect Christ and study God's word, which are components of our vision here at this church. That's not the case. We, we, we can't grow to reflect Christ without studying God's word. I can't reflect something that I don't, I don't have the knowledge to reflect. You can't take a new job at a company and say, well, you're going to reflect the culture of this company, and you don't know anything, like, you ever walk into an interview and somebody says, well, tell us about our company. What do you know about our company? Well, chances are, okay, if Brother Tim's hiring somebody and somebody says, I don't know, what, what do you guys do here? I just need a job. What, what, I mean, what do, you, what do you do? Chances are that person's not getting hired. Because in order to reflect something, I need to have a knowledge about it. And so I have to say, well, I know we do this. This is what we do. This is, this is the vision. This is the culture. This is something I want to be a part of. I'm passionate about this. And so that's why even studying God's word, we encourage people to sit through a Bible study, 10 week, 5 week, 12 week. But that alone is not the goal just to go through a Bible study and you're done. And now you studied God's word. Check. I'm done. I studied God's word. But if your study of God's word is limited to a 12-week structured course, you're missing it. And so God has always wanted his people to hear his word, know his word, and hide his word in their heart. He joins himself to his word, and he makes no distinction. Look at John 1.1. He says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And guess what? Verse 14, the word become flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So God is his word, and the word became flesh. You don't separate God from his word. He is his word. So when that's why if I preach something and I show you scripture line and verse, and he says, I would have every man to repent, and repent that, that, that you shall all likewise not that we, you won't perish. And so I, we don't have to say, well, let me pray about whether or not I should do this, because his word says to do it. And if his word says to do it, there's nothing to pray about. 
God's not ever going to say, repent. And then when you say, Lord, should I really repent? And he's going to go, no, don't. His word says, get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the remission of our sins. We don't have to say, well, let me pray about being baptized. If, if, if his word says, if he says I, I, that, that the promise is unto you, to your children, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, and, and he's talking about being filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, we don't have to say, Lord, is this for me? He already said it was. So I don't have to pray about something that his word already makes clear. A couple years ago, I clicked on an article on in, it said, 35 books everyone should read at least once in their lifetime. I was looking to see where they ranked the Bible. And as I clicked through the list, I, I saw some of the books. Honestly, I, I, I had read some, I heard of some, and some I had never heard of. And so just a sampling, they had the book, How to, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Anyone read this book? Good book. Good book. Dale Carnegie. Then he had a book... Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl about his experience in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. Anyone read that book? Cosmos by Carl Sagan. The blurb says, Sagan somehow manages to explain 15 billion years of cosmic history while touching on philosophy, religion, and our society. Anyone read this one? Yeah, I, I certainly didn't either, but... Um, then here's a really, a really, really exciting one that I guarantee you I've never touched in my life. Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> Can I tell you how much I know about this? My wife is going to laugh hysterically at me. I actually just learned in, prep in preparing this message that it's not Anna of Green Gables. I thought it was Anna of Green Gables. It's Anne of Green Gables. I learned something preparing this message. I can promise you, unless someone's paying me, I'm probably not going to read this book or watch any film on this where the, the, the high point of the movie is, let's go out for crumpets and tea. Like, man, this is, this is, this is exciting stuff. <laughs> Everyone has their own preference. Then there's To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Anyone read that one? Yeah, all right. Because we had three books in a row there that nobody read, so I was making sure that we all still know how to read. We're good. <laughs> then there was The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. Anyone read that? All right, we got, yeah. I got all the way to the end of the article, and the Bible was not even on the list. Now, I understand where we are in society. I did not expect the Bible to be number one. But I did in 35 books everyone needs to read. I expected the Bible to be on the list. Because even if you're someone who says, well, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist or agnostic. He might exist. He might not exist. The Bible still is a good moral book. And so just based on that alone, I expected it to be on the list. And it's, it was not on the list. And so, several years ago, George Barna wrote The State of the Church. Barna is very known for his research, well-respected researcher. And Barna conducted a survey of self-pronounced Christians. And here's what he found about their knowledge of the Bible. Remember, these are Christians. These are not atheists, agnostic. These are Christians. 48% of these Christians could not name the four Gospels. 
52% of these Christians cannot identify more than two or three of Jesus' disciples. Remember, we have to be intentionally, we are, what is the word that they used in Deuteronomy 6? What was it again? Diligently. Yeah, I knew it was an intentionally. Diligently. We must be diligent in teaching our kids. So I know we kind of roll our eyes because we've heard this since we were little, but I really truly don't want to be able, I don't want my kids to be able to name the Chiefs starters, the Packers starters, the Fortnite players, and not know the names of the disciples. Sixty percent of the American Christians cannot name five of the Ten Commandments. Sixty-one percent of American Christians think the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. (laughs) Of course, it is funny, but it's not funny. Like, what? Seventy-one percent of American Christians think that God helps those who help themselves is actually a Bible verse. No, that's, that's what my grandma said. Jesus didn't say that. Now, there's principles there that you could argue, but that is not, that's found in like Gary chapter 4, verse 8. That's not Philippians or Colossians. So Barna said, Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't know what it says. And because they don't know, they don't know it, they've become a nation of biblical illiterates. And so when the people who say, I am Christian, I proclaim Christ, I live as as Christ lives, and we adhere to his way of living, teaching, thinking, but then we don't actually know what he did, what he called for, the commandments that he said, what he expects of us. And then we tell someone, well, how are we going to live and reflect Jesus Christ when we don't know what he's asking or saying? So guess what that resolves in? People that say, I'm Christian, I don't know what he says, so my life doesn't reflect that. So the people who have had an experience with it look at our lives. Sometimes we're the only Jesus someone knows. And they see lives of Christians that aren't reflecting what Jesus is saying. And they go, I don't want any part of that. And so it gives all of us a bad name because someone says, you Christian? Yes. Well, I knew another Christian that said they were a Christian, and here's what they did. Now, I can't change everybody, but I want to make sure, at least for me in my house, that I know what God is asking. Not going to be perfect, but I know what he's asking, and I'm aiming to reflect his word in my life. But in order to be able to reflect his word in my life, I have to get to his word. Now, if you're waiting this week to get to the word when you have time. Next week, you're going to come to church and you will not have touched the Bible. Because you'll never have time. The only thing you'll have time for is what you make time for. Just like we don't, we don't have time to exercise, we don't have time to pray, we don't have time to read the word, we don't have time, but we do, it's just what are we prioritizing, right? And so, 
uh, we're, we're seeing the effects of this, that drop, that drastic, that, 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 that fading from the word. We're seeing the effects of culture because now the word is not the source of absolute truth in some people's lives because generation after generation, we've kind of stopped emphasizing the importance of the word. We not meaning us necessarily, just society, culture, American culture. And so now we're seeing the result of children being raised up in homes and churches where the word, even church itself, a lot of churches you go to, the word is not emphasized in the pulpit. It's the experience of church rather than the word. Now, I think we should have an amazing experience. I think our kids can have fun. I think it'd be awesome in a new building to check the kids in and have a slide there that they slide down into their children's ministry area. I think that'd be wonderful. But if that's the only experience they're having, we're missing it. We have to be a people of the word. And that's one thing the apostolic Pentecostals have, dare I say, prided themselves in. Pride is not the right word, but we have tried to influence. We've tried to say, hey, this is, this is an important component of who we are. We are people of the word. So if we're going to claim to be people of the word, we should know the word better than anyone else out there. And that's not said in an arrogant way. That's just a, if I'm claiming to be a person of the word, then, hey, that's like me walking up on the softball team being like, guys, hey, FYI, I'm the home run hitter. And you can tell right now I'm probably not the home run hitter. But when I get up and all I can do is I can't even get it out of the, out of the infield, which I can. Don't say anything. Somebody's like, whoa, hold on. I thought you said you were a home run hitter. You ain't hit one out of the outfield, out of the infield yet, right? You better, if we're going to say we're people of the word, we need to know the word. People need to see the, oh, okay, I see the word in your life. And so, don't answer this, but please, don't answer, don't raise your hand, don't, don't, don't widen your eyes, because I can, that's the only thing I can see, okay? Just everybody look forward. Look forward, stay focused. How many of us have read the word all the way through? And how can we say we're people of the word when we, we how many of us know what Ezekiel talks about? How many of us know what Exodus talks about? How many of us know what Matthew talks about? What's the focus of Romans? Who's Daniel? Where'd he come from? How many of us have really never read the word? How many of us, it's been, it's literally been weeks since we've even touched a Bible or even a Bible app? Well, no, I, no, I heard it last Sunday. No, 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 no. Now we're to the point. My kids need to be fed by me and my wife when they were newborns. If Kiera still needs me to feed, there's a, there's a problem. There's an issue there. So as a newborn, we know that when we're born again, that there are times that you're still just being fed on Wednesdays and Sundays in small groups, and that's pretty normal. But if you've been in church five and six and eight and nine years, and the only meat meal that you're eating is one that's fed to you from the pulpit, it's, it's not a healthy thing. And so we have to be going, man, Lord, I want to be a person of the word. So I want to know, what does your word say? And if we're missing out on the word, we're missing out on the fact that 
hey, Genesis, it tells us how everything begins, what God's plan really was. Exodus, well, I skipped past that. That's just the law. No, understand that these people were called out of a land of Egypt, and they needed, God loved them so much that said, let me tell you how to live life. Here's what to eat. Here's what to wear. Here's what to stay away from. Here's where to go. Here's how you worship. Here's what pleases me. Oh, I don't like the law. You need to love the law. Because the law is what guides us and protects us. And as you read on, you read about Joshua and Joshua and his plan. God takes his people and he takes them into a land of promise. And even though there's enemy after enemy after enemy, and when they stay faithful and to, to, to Christ, God, God just, he strikes down the enemies and he opens a way for his promise. And, and then you get into the prophets and man, oh man, then you get into David first. Oh wow, man, after God's own heart, the apple of God's eye. And you're like, wow, this guy was a loser at times. What in the world? But he repents, and he gets restoration, and you find grace even in the Old Testament. And you move on to the, to the prophets, and you read these stories, which, which is where I am and right now reading the prophets. And I, I got to tell you, I'm so excited to get out of the prophets. Like, I'm reading about, I mentioned this in the pulpit the other day about prophets, like, eating the book and walking around naked and marrying a prostitute and, like, crazy stuff that, like, God is trying to get object lessons to his people and show them like you haven't been faithful and if but he kept saying in the midst of all this you're going to be destroyed you're going to get dispersed and your enemies are going to defeat you and he, but if you just come back if you just repent if you just if you come back to me I, I will still love you and so that speaks to me because he, no matter how far I fall I still read I'm like wow well, I haven't fallen that far and so I can still come back I can worship I can I can find a place of repentance and 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 even though I'm sending Assyria, and even though I'm sending Babylon, and even though you're going to be defeated and dispersed to the four corners of the earth, I want you to know I'm always going to preserve a remnant because I'm going to gather my people again, and they're going to be brought back into this place, and I'm always going to have a people. And, and so you can trust that. And guess what? This plan that you're living, this isn't the, the full fruition of the plan. Joel, tell them about my spirit. Jeremiah, talk about my spirit. Ezekiel, tell them I'm going to put a new heart and a new spirit inside of them. Isaiah talked to him about stammering lips in another tongue. And we start to see in the word that God has a plan, even in the midst of exile, even in the midst. Daniel stands up and says, I'm going to stay faithful, even in the midst of exile. I can say, well, society's against me. Yeah, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown in a fiery furnace, and they saw a fourth in the fire. Daniel got thrown in a lion's den. And I can read these stories, and, and I can say, no matter what happens in society, I find my strength and my hope in God. And you move into the New Testament, you read about these Gospels, and Jesus steps on the scene. John the Baptist preaches repentance. And all of a sudden, there's a different message, but it's the fulfillment of the law in Jesus and his wise teaching. He talks about the, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and then all of a sudden, you begin to work through, and you, and you see him in the story of his birth, and the story of his death on the cross, and his resurrection. And, and then we go into the book of Acts, and we say, wow, he chose ordinary men to just go and change the world. And, and I can, the days that I don't feel very special, I can read about these ordinary men saying, wow, if they could do it, what about me? If, if Peter can let Jesus down and deny Christ, then you know what? I deny him at times too, but I can find a place of repentance because Jesus comes and finds Peter at the side of the, the sea, and, and he says, hey, Peter, are, do you love me three times? Of course you know I love you, Jesus, probably feeling all dejected and down because you know I let you down, but Peter says, he says, Peter, feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep. What, what does that mean, Peter? Even though you let me down, I still have a call 
calling on your life. I still have a plan for you, Peter. And so, and so you begin to work, work your way through the Word, and, and you see things, and, and you read stories that aren't just stories. It's not just the goal is to check off a box on my bread chart, but I can see something where no matter what the story is, no matter how boring it seems, there's something in there that I can go, God, you're speaking my life. And society can be like this. Lord, I can find hope here. I can see that even in the midst of persecution, the church just kept growing. Even in the midst of the government getting involved in churches, the church kept growing in the first century. And we move into the, to the epistles and we, where would we be? How would we know how to live life? We certainly have the plan of salvation from Acts. But what about when people start acting crazy in our lives and letting us down and church leadership and the gifts of the Spirit are kind of getting whacked, whacked, wacky in the church, you know? We thank God that Paul wrote and he, he wrote to Rome and to the church in Rome and to the church in Colossus and the church in Philippi and the church in Thessalonica and the church in Ephesus. And we can start to see about, wow, that's how I live life. That's how I, that's how I handle situations. Situations. That's how I, oh, oh, wow, in the church, I'm supposed to bear one another's burdens. I'm supposed to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And I'm supposed to gather publicly and house to house. And, and I can start to see things in the word. You see, I, I could talk about this all day long. Why? Because this is where I preach all my messages from. Because this is what gives life and hope and liberty and freedom and healing. This is what gives direction. This is what challenges us. This is what, that's why to me, I'm not going to get up and go, well, the way I was raised, well, in the church, I, well, our organization teaches this. That's all good. And I respect my dad and my mom and my pastor and the church I grew up in and, and the organization that I'm a part of. But not, that's not what saves me. What saves me is the word of God. And that's why we look and we say, hey, God, if your word speaks about it, I don't care if it makes me uncomfortable, someone please Tell me the word of God. If I'm in sin, you better get in my face and say, tell me the word of God. If I'm not looking the way I should or going to the places I should or dressing the way I should, someone better come and show me a scripture that saves my soul. Where do you think we get that from? That's the word of God. I could talk all day long. Why? Because I love the Word. Because I've seen the Word change hearts and minds. I've taught atheists and agnostics in Bible study who said, I just came because you're my friend. Get it over with. And by the end of lesson one, they were had tears welled up in their eyes. And they said, that was amazing. It wasn't because I am a great orator filled with wisdom from on high. No, 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 no. I hope you think that. But no, it is the Word of God. Because when you expose someone to the Word, Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word became flesh. The Word dwelt among us. And, and it tabernacled among us. It dwelt among us. What is that saying? God does not separate himself from his Word. So if I expose someone to the Word of God for 10 or 12 weeks, I guarantee you their life will be changed. Why? Because I trust the Word. I saw a quote from evangelist Josh Herring this last week, and it say, he said, if you haven't read your Bible in the past 28 days, the devil is not fighting against you. He's actually chilling with you. In spite of popular 21st century opinion, reading God's word and his promises, they are principles of matters of life or death. No matter what any online article says, the Bible is more important to read. I'm not saying it's bad or it's sinful, it's, but it's more important to read the Bible than Anne, not Anna, Anne of Green Gables. 
than Viktor Frankl's men's search for meaning, than how to win friends and influence people. Our search for meaning can simply be found by picking up the Bible. If you find yourself today drifting away from truth, and I'm speaking not just to people here, online today too. If you find yourself drifting from truth, backsliding, questioning faith, consecration, separation to God, somewhere along the line, you stopped hiding God's word in your heart. Because the word is what brings clarity. That's why sometimes people will struggle. And you know what? A lot of times when people start to struggle, they stop coming to church. And the church went, and that's a dangerous spot because now if you're not feeding yourself the word and you're not getting it from church, now you're just filled with thoughts of humanity. But here is where you will always hear truth. And that is not, I'm not saying this is the only place. I, I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I'm the only wise soul in the whole world. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying I give you my word that as long as I'm pastoring this church, you will always hear the word preached. I'll preach the word if it's dangerous. I'll preach the word if it's unpopular. I'll preach the word when it is popular. We will always stick with the word. The word is what brings life. And so if you're, if you're struggling, Paul, where are you in the word? Paul knew that the strength and revival in the New Testament apostolic church was built first and foremost. He knew he's writing to believers in Thessalonica, and he knows that the strength and movement and ability of the church to move forward in that century was going to be based on this fact. Verse 15, keep a strong grip on the teaching we pass to you both in person and in writing. He knew if you want to, you have better cling to the word. That is key. Who loved us. Jesus loved us. He gave, his, he gave us grace and eternal comfort and hope. Notice when Paul's talking, he says strong grip on in-person teaching, in-person word. What is that? Preaching. Preach word. Cling to what you've been preached. Cling to what you've heard preached. Cling to that word. But then he says also strong grip on the letter. What's the letter? That's the Bible. So preaching and the Bible, anything we hear, that proclamation of the gospel from the word, and then, the, and then the, the consuming desire from the word and God's word, to this day, the Bible says that we are saved by preaching. Do you know that scripture literally says we are saved by the foolishness of preaching? So it's the word and the preached word. It's the word and the preached word. It's the word and the preached word. We got to cling to that. There's a reason, too, why if we get offended, we get angry. One of the first things that the devil will try to implant in your head is offense toward the man or woman of God. Because why? If he can eliminate the voice of the preacher, he can actually get a hold to start impacting your salvation. And I don't say that because, like, I'm trying to have power in someone's life, but God has called me to have a voice of authority in someone's life. Why is the voice of authority is not based on my authority? It's based on the fact that he gives me words from his word to preach with authority. And so again, now if I start leaving and saying, I have authority and I leave the word, which I just promised you I'll never do, you better find a new church. Because my authority is not based on the title or position, it's based on the word of God. The minute a preacher leaves the word of God, they now ha don't have that authority. 
And so Paul, he says, he says, verse 16, he says, who loved us by his grace and gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope. What do you think eternal comfort and a wonderful hope? That eternal hope, what do you think that is? It's the word. And at Refuge Church, I don't say it enough, probably our vision is experience hope, offer hope. That is why the church exists. We are called to experience the hope of salvation, the hope of Calvary, the hope of the word, and then turn and offer that hope to someone else. How many of you have ever experienced the hope of salvation by the word of God? Some of you have not yet. See me after service? We'll talk about it. But we need to remember this. One of the greatest ways to experience hope is to get in the word. And one of the greatest ways to offer hope is to, to teach someone and offer to someone to do the same. You know, this past couple weeks ago, I had a friend from Wisconsin contact me. And he just was really feeling like God, he said, I'm not doing nothing. He said, I've been in church for a long time and I haven't, I haven't really taught someone. Someone hasn't been baptized that I've personally taught. You know, that should bother all of us. That should, that should speak to all of us. And he said, I got to do something. He said, I want to reach Bible study. I want to reach, what do you think I should do? I said, man. He said, why don't you just throw out a survey? Half the time people ask me stuff, I say stuff. I don't know if they're actually going to do it or not. The next day I got a survey, a Google survey. I said, what do you think of this? And I gave some pointers and some things I would change or whatever. But he talked to me yesterday. He said, so I sent the survey out. It was something basic. Hey, my wife and I, uh, have, have you ever sat through a structured course that talks about biblical principles in, in, in regard to modern day life? Would you ever be interested in getting together one time a week for about 45 minutes over the course of 10 weeks to look at the most pertinent relevant issues of God's word as it applies to our lives? Does this night or this night work better for you on Zoom or FaceTime or whatever? And they just asked about five or six questions, and he sent that link out to all of his friends. Just sent it out this past week. And he talked to me yesterday and said, Monday nights, starting next week, I have a Bible study with three couples online. Did God call us to make disciples? So if we're not doing that, what, what are we waiting on? Just think about that. I mean, it's not being, I'm not, I promise you, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm asking questions. What, what, what is it that we're waiting Are we genuinely waiting for somebody to be like, and you open your front door and somebody's like, I was praying. And that happens. We read about that with Peter. <laughs> he gets a dream and goes to the house. And yeah, we read, it can happen. But it doesn't happen that much. So are we waiting for someone to knock on our door and say, I was weeping in prayer and God sent me to this home and you are called to teach me a Bible study. That'd be awesome. And it could happen because God's a big God. You know what usually happens? Is Christians that are walking around society living their daily lives and stopping and going, homes, I don't have, silver and gold have I none, but I'm going to stop I have a plan, I have an agenda today, but I just came across you in my path, and I'm going to stop, and silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give thy thee, arise up and walk, and then come with me to a worship service, 
as God just changed your life. So what it is, how many people are you connected to right now that have never experienced the hope of God's word? How many of you right now have someone that you love with all your heart? A friend, family member, neighbor, coworker, you love them. And they have never experienced the hope of God's word in their life. Raise your hand. If you have one person that has never experienced the hope of God's word and you love that person. So what is keeping us from doing that same survey or something like it? Sending out a link and saying, I'm starting to study Tuesday or Thursday night, Monday or Wednesday, whatever, whatever. Don't do Wednesday, that's church. Monday or Friday, whatever. And say, hey, here's what it's about. Would you be interested? I'd love to just go through the word together and we'll just. Well, they I'd already know. Wait, how do you already know you haven't asked? Imagine if you asked 20 friends. What are the chances that two of them would say yes? We're talking about time is short. Look at the society. God's coming back. If we truly believe that, then my only focus is not to get myself there. I want to get somebody else. I want to reach somebody. And how do I reach someone? The greatest thing I can do is offer the hope that is found in the word of God. I've never taught I'm not that smart. Hey, see me. We'll get you ready. Why? Well, I just, I don't know that much. Well, do you know how, do you know why you got baptized in Jesus' name? You can disciple someone on how, how to be baptized in Jesus' name. Have you repented of your sins? You can disciple someone on how to repent of your sins. Do you know why you worship? Well, you can talk about why you worship. Do you know why do you believe the word of God? Well, you can begin to talk to someone about that, and we'll get you notes. We'll get you structure. I'll help you out. Three couples are now about to sit in a Bible study that have never sat in one. Hope wasn't just when he died on the cross, and I'm almost done. God gave us hope when he had his word written, preserved, and it's there to build and to challenge and to correct us. Because 2 Timothy says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Thank God for the conviction of the word. It corrects us when we're wrong. We don't like it very much, but we need it. And it teaches us what to do, what it, or teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. So without reading and studying God's word, you will never be able to be the person God has called you to be. For his plans have always been for his people to hear, ponder, meditate on, and hide his word in his heart, in their heart. Without teaching it to people, less and less people will experience salvation. So today, if you have found yourself sliding backwards, struggling in your faith, feeling discouraged, questioning what you believe, not sure who or what to trust, feeling anxious, addicted, broken, fearful, unstable, frustrated, or caught up in sin. His word 
can provide direction, joy, correction, peace, strength. It'll build your faith. It'll pick you up, give guidance and salvation, and it will offer you hope. Why? Because there is hope in the Word of God. Would you stand to your feet? At a time where we all need hope in our world, take solace in the Word. Don't lose heart. God's Word will speak life. That's why if you feel lost, like you don't have direction in your life, don't know which way to go. Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I'm in darkness. I, yeah, that's right. Flip the lamp on. God's word's the lamp. David goes on to say in verse 49, Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for the word hath quickened me. You ever need comfort and affliction? Why are we always going to Facebook, CNN, Fox News, the, the, the website, the TV? I mean, like, go to the Word. You need comfort and hope. David says, hey, there was comfort in my affliction. Here's what happened. Your Word quickened me. I went to the Word, and the Word offered me hope. You want to get revived? Get in the Word. You want comfort in a tough time? Get in the Word. Look at Paul's letter to Rome. Verse 84, Romans 4.18, he says, Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Why? Why would he do that? The guy was like 100 years old. He'd been waiting 25 years for his promise. What's wrong with this guy? There wasn't any reason to hope, but he kept hoping. Why would this crazy person keep hoping? It's found in the next sentence. Abraham kept hoping. There was no reason for hope. He'd become the father of many nations. What's the next words? For God had said. It's that easy. I lost hope. I look around. I don't have much hope. No much hope for my family. Much hope for the church. I don't just not feel no. I don't know if I have much hope for my addiction. I don't know if I have much hope for my family, my marriage, my finance. I don't have much hope. I, but, but. Abraham didn't have any hope. Hey, guys, like 100 years old, you're going to have many kids? He's like, yeah, right. But he kept hoping. Why? Paul said, hey, he kept hoping. Why? God said to him. The greatest source of hope that you're going to have is what God has said to you. Maybe that was in prayer. But if not, it was in the Word. Grab the Word. 66 different books that were written about his plan for his people. He's given you word. I just wish God would speak to me. Oh, he has. A whole bunch. And if you're feeling hopeless, you know what? I can cling to a word. What? Why? It doesn't make any sense. Because God spoke to me. There hasn't been a lot of hope these days. But there is when you read the word. There is when you grab the word. And that's why in Romans 4.19, Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. So was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing in God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. In this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promised. If, if it's in God's word... My faith doesn't waver. 
Folks, you might not feel much hope today. You might feel pretty discouraged. But guess what? People have counted anywhere from 3,500 to 7,000 different promises to you in the Bible. Anywhere from 3,500 to 7,000 promises to you in the Bible. God has a plan for your life. That old saying, a doctor a day, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Man, why don't we change that, skip that. How about a chapter a day keeps sin away? There is someone in your life right now. Hear me as we wrap up. There is someone in your life right now who is desperately wanting to have hope in their life. Yeah, but I don't know how to offer them. What do I, what am I supposed to say? Why don't you start with, hey, you want to get together in person? Or you want to do it, you can do it online and send it to every friend you have. Go start a Bible study. Go offer hope to someone, and the greatest source of hope you'll ever find is the Word of God. What about you personally? I'm feeling pretty down myself. Well, no, get in the Word. And you will find so much strength and hope. We need it, folks. Why don't we begin to find a place? Maybe God's laying someone on your heart right now. Begin to find a place and pray for that person. Before you send them any link or invitation or survey to fill out, begin to cover that person in prayer. If anything, we can find a place today and begin to worship God. Thank Him for the hope in His Word. Thank Him for the hope that we find in His Word. Thank Him for the fact that, that His Word is alive. That His Word is powerful. That His Word has been preserved for us today because He loves us so much that we can, at any moment, the Word is at our fingertips. It's online. It's in paper copy. It's in multiple languages. His Word is so powerful. And that's where I find my hope. It's where I find my peace. It's where I find my strength. How about it? How about we make sure that this week, we're going to be in the Word, that it's a lifestyle change. If we're not in the Word, that we'll be in the Word from now on. We make a commitment right now.